Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Sunday. I think it's Sunday. Um, I'm getting ready to do a little project today right here. That's, that's some sandpaper. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, I got that in New York 15 years ago. Loved it. Not knowing that I would eventually sand it, which is hopefully today and paint it pink to put in my daughter's room <laughs> for her collection. Well, we're a family of collectors, so we all collect things. Um, so yeah, so that's gonna be the new shelf in her room for her collection. Ah, oh, goodness gracious. Oh, well, it has been quite a week. Um, uh, yesterday was, uh, was, uh, yes, conservatives are welcomed here. So are, even, even liberals, we even let those guys come. You're all welcome. Um, even progressives, right? Um, I'm going to ask you to put your thinking caps on today and fill in the blanks today because um, put on your thinking caps today for filling in the blanks with some of this talk because this talk is, is a bit raw because... Um, Yes, I'm also learning to argue well. Um, and I'm gonna get to that in a minute. And we're also learning to listen, you know? Kind of listening well, too, allows you to understand maybe where the misunderstanding is or what people think about us. And I think often when we're able to see ourselves through the other person's perspective, we get a good idea of, well, okay, well, this is what they think. I think the problem is we always go in with the idea of defense, like we want to defend ourselves against what someone's opinion of us is, um, which is understandable. But when we listen rather than defend right away, because we can still defend ourselves, we can still say, well, this is what you have wrong, or this, or actually you have this right, you know, whatever. But you can kind of see where their, also their prejudice come from, their anger comes from, their hurt comes from, uh, Sometimes it's from the religious upbringing. Sometimes it's from their own insecurities. And sometimes, believe it or not, they can be right. Ugh. But we learn to argue well. And we'll argue better if we listen better. You know, if we listen well, you know. But, yeah, our, our, and our ego often gets in the way. And, and, and the idea that we're like, you know, somehow uh, people have got the idea that they're not, that people aren't allowed to have other opinions or that people aren't allowed to disagree with them or even disagree with the choices you've made. And, 
and that somehow that's offensive and not acceptable. Um, and we say that in the name of tolerance. So we kind of say that, that if you're not, you know, intolerance is unacceptable, so we become intolerance to intolerance. Strangely enough, it's like legalism to legalism or Pharisees of Pharisees. <laughs> you know, it's this weird thing where we, there's this contradiction there, but there's always a bigger truth. And I think the bigger truth there is that, um, uh, is that we also, as asking others to be tolerant, sometimes we have to be tolerant of their intolerance in order to hear what they're saying, in order to be able to communicate with them if there's any chance to grow and change. Um, if I seem a little lost this morning, I totally am. Um, Caleb's funeral was yesterday and uh, it was on YouTube so I was able to watch I just honestly could not afford to be able to financially afford to fly uh, to Kansas City to Kansas um, right now because still they it's weird like I can fly certain places, but like Kansas City, they're, you know, I have to like have a thousand dollars to be there. Um, I don't know why the, that happens, but anyway, it was, but I was so glad that they were able to post it. We sent flowers from all of us at Revolution. Um, I sent flowers from this, our community, letting them know that we really loved and appreciated how important Caleb was to us. I mean, you know, Caleb was with Revolution for like three years, you know? I mean, we were we spent a lot of time together. Um, and uh, it was beautiful because they played a clip of his words, and I really loved that. Um, and then his song played at the beginning. It was funny to see it more like in a more like evangelical church, you know, because Caleb was so questioning and had so many things. But I thought it was great in, in a lot of ways to kind of, you know, no one held back from 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 saying who um, Caleb really was, you know, and I liked that, you know, I feel like Caleb shined through and and um, that was really nice. I mean, when they when they played the song, you know, they played him singing at the end and everybody was walking out. To me, that was probably the most hardest moment because it was just like, you know, he's gone. So yeah, man, like when you lose the guy who was sitting behind you, for so many years and, and 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 working with you and shared a vision with you and you know and, and uh, it's tough. I also uh, have a friend who's right now having a mental breakdown and um, it's hard watching my friend go through a mental breakdown as well. So it's been a lot, yeah. So I'm a little bit off my cuff. Um. But interesting enough, the why I was arguing well, I, I saying arguing well is because I was, you know, arguing with a very even conservative evangelical uh, today. Um, um, because it's hard for me is when 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 folks attack people I love or attack groups I love, and they really strongly feel that this is what God's called them to do and to speak truth and all this kind of thing. Um, uh, but my problem, not with just evangelicals, with conservatives and progressive Christians together, is that I feel like I start to know more of what they're against. Um, 
than what they're for. And that's always a hard thing for me um, to see because I don't think we should, you know, Jesus said we are supposed to be known for our love for one another, not by what our politics are or what our, you know, convictions are. Like, so um, <laughs> by our love for one another, that's supposed to be how we're known for each other. I mean, that's what Jesus said. I mean, I'm literally, that's what Jesus said. They will know you belong to me for your love for one another, not by your correct doctrine, not by your scholarship. And that's what I love scholarship. You know, I love good scholarship. I love biblical history. I love reading the Bible within its context, which seems like most people don't. And uh, when you start to bring up scholarship and context, then they start to go, oh, it's going to get liberal and crazy. I'm like, man, I can't help what it says. That's <laughs> just in the context of the scholarship, you know? Um, uh, you know, the Bible wasn't written in English. And, and matter of fact, the Bible's not even a book. It's a collection of letters and writings and, and things like that, you know? And people start to, I don't know why that makes people insecure. I mean, I get it why it makes it insecure. is because when you've been raised to believe a certain way and think a certain way, and then you realize it's different, you start to think that your faith is invalid. Um, because we're not taught, I wasn't taught in Christianity that our faith would evolve and it would change and things. I was like, same today, tomorrow, and yesterday, you know, and, and this is it. And it's, it's, it never changes and never grows. And then when you start to read the New Testament, you're like, well, Jesus goes this far. And then Paul even takes uh, affirming Gentiles and stuff even further. And it, there is an evolution. And then it, Jesus from Judaism is like, Jesus gets rid of the law and does all this stuff and says he came to, he fulfilled the law, you know, and you're going like, it's, it's all about change. It's all about evolution. It's all about growth. And, um, and we just want to go, here it is. It's all figured out, you know? And that's just not how I read these collections of the library known as the Bible. It's just not how I read it. Um, yeah, there's discrepancies. Yes, it contradicts because there's a letter written to a group over here and a letter written to a group over here. If I wrote a letter to five different people, you might think, well, these, this advice contradicts this advice. I'm like, yeah, because this person has a different life experience than this person. You know, the reason why Galatians, why I love it so much is because Paul is literally trying to talk to like people who grew up in the Jewish tradition and then people who grew up like... Uh, the Gauls in like this completely different tradition of like worshiping the waves and the water and the air and, and seeing the spirit and the things that are created, you know? So, and he's trying to like get these two people to get along. So that's why I love that book so much because it's so, uh, it, it's one of those books that almost expresses how the Bible works. It's like, we're talking to all these different people. You know, and then not to mention discrepancies and then things when people decided to maybe fill in a little bit later. Um, seems like a lot of the uh, uh, scribes wanted to fix Paul a little bit more than most people because Paul was a little too radical, I think, for people. But anyway, where are you going, Jay? This seems like nonsense. It's not nonsense. The point was is that I was trying to argue well with this person today. And, you know, I feel like if I, you keep humor in it, sometimes that helps. Even uh, sarcasm that's light, not maybe not biting sarcasm, but just trying to use some humor. And um, that's, that's 
was was the conversation we had uh, the conversation we had today, um, literally <laughs> this morning, um, you know, and it was just because it was like. Uh, it's just hard when people just see things for face value and uh, anyway but I tried to listen as well as speak and it actually ended up peaceful I don't think you know we may have not changed but what happens at night when we think about rethink about the conversation and the things we go through um you know, because at first the person was projecting onto me like, well, I just don't can't make the Bible say what I wanted to say. <laughs> you know, like they were saying basically that I was just making it all up and just going with my own desires. I'm going like, or that I was disagreeing with the Bible. And sometimes I do disagree with the Bible, believe it or not. Um, but I was saying, oh, no, 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 I'm not disagreeing with what the Bible says. I'm disagreeing with your interpretation of what you think it says, you know, and uh, trying to make that clear. Um, that's why having these conversations are important, that we can kind of see where people are at and where we're at with each other, that we've become so afraid. So um, so in the light of uh, just really trying to grieve and be a dad and be a human being, um, I'm going to give you a very uh, surfacey talk that is going to be an echo of a lot of other talks that I've given. Um, and so what I want you to do is Uh, allow your own story to um, help, you know, help let, allow yourself to interpret this talk in the way you need. Hold on one second, folks. I think something's wrong with one of my kids. Sorry, we had a stuffed animal get water spilt on him. And that's a big emergency in my house. Um, so here we go. Are you ready? Buckle up. Um, how have we turned Christianity a religion of love into back into a religion of law. Um, how have we done this? Why have we done this? And these are questions that I'm asking you to think on. I'm not asking you to answer right now, or I'm not going to give you the necessarily the answers right now. This is stuff. And the reason what this talk came from was actually my working on some research about Hegel, uh, the philosopher Hegel. Um, about his, his own Christianity and why he was drawn to Christianity and finding that to be a truth. Um, and um, so, so, what we, so what I was looking at is like Hegel had some of the similar ideas and I was really impressed because Hegel is almost impossible to read, but reading some about Hegel's uh, Faith and Christianity really was inspiring, and uh, what why he feels that I mean his biggest thing in Christianity is well, well two of the biggest things of, of Hegel's beliefs in Christianity were uh, reasons he subscribed to it because originally Hegel just thought Christianity was just like every other religion, but then something sp sparked for Hegel, and one of those things that sparked for Hegel was the love of Christianity, but also the idea of the humiliated God the God who dies on the cross, the uh, God who is um, uh, th that whole moment of, 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 of the cross, that humiliate the God that comes down to earth and is, becomes one with man, 
Very interesting. And resurrection was important to him too as well. But, so I was kind of going through some of that stuff and that's what kind of inspired this little conversation today. Um, but how have we turned Christianity, a religion of love, into a religion of law? Now, when you say, well, Jay, it's, it's, it's not just a religion of love, it's a religion of all, and that's the one thing you guys like to do, people like to do, is, say, oh, it's not just love, you know? Like when the verse in First uh, John says that God is love, and then everybody's like, oh, but there's other things. It's like we are so quick to defend the law and legalism and works and all these things, even though religion, Jesus, you know, even though we're saved by grace, not by works, so no man may boast, we still want to push works. We still want to push law. We still want to push all this righteousness, but you've been named holy and blameless as you stand before God. Why? Without a single fault. Why? Because of what Christ Jesus has done for you. Nothing to do with what you're doing for yourself. And I have found that only when we are able to experience grace are we able to live into those things. It's not one of those things where I'm going to be right and get grace. It's no, that, that, that's backwards. It's like horses behind the cart. It's putting the cart before the horse, right? Um, you are saved by grace, not by my works, okay? Um, only when I realized that God's grace covered my alcoholism was I able to go and get sober. You know what I'm saying? Like only that was the moment for me is when, is when I thought God was concerned and hated me because I was a drunk and was going to send me to hell because I misinterpreted Galatians, uh, the fruits of the spirit stuff. Um, <laughs> I couldn't get sober. But once I realized that God loved me if I was preaching on the corner, preaching in, uh, on the TV or drunk in the corner, God's love never changed for me, was when I was able to go, I'm free. I'm literally free. And that was a moment where it was like, it's not, I need, you know, my sobriety became about me and not about trying to please some deity. Um, we have allowed bad scholarship and insecure people to dictate what Christianity is. Um, Christianity to me has become almost unrecognizable in this world. When I read what I read in the book of the in the Bible, and then when I see what the church has become, and it's almost become this place where it's like sin management and uh, based on politics. You know, if it's not sin management, it's politically based, or it's you know, well, if you're not progressive, then you're not really a Christian. If you're not conservative, you're not really a Christian. And it's like all of a sudden, there's these new laws that we've created and who's in and who's out. And that just does not, that's just not Christianity. I mean, why I go through Galatians every year, the beginning of every year is because it is this two separate groups, it's a split groups that Paul is begging to come together and to think alike and to give each other graceful answers and to carry each other's burdens and to restore one another is because that's, I feel like where we're at, that we've just, we're, we're, we're like the church of Galatians where we're all just like divided. And we all think each other's way is the way. Well, you need to be circumcised. Well, I don't want to be circumcised. You know, well, then you're not a real Christian because you've got to, you know, you've got to go through Judaism first and you've got to do this, you know. And, and we've just added new laws. We've just created new laws out of Christianity. And we've, we, we've taken some things that maybe Paul said and things like that and taken our own understanding and, and we're like, well, Paul maybe meant no male, no female, no Jew, no Gentile, you know. Like, but he didn't mean that Literally. And that's how we've, we've reshaped Christianity. And um, so 
So what I see in this country as the church is not Christianity. I feel like a madman saying that. I feel like insane saying that. I feel like, oh, well, who's, oh, here comes Jay Baker. Big guy, hey, you know, I've got a word from God. And like, I'm a madman in the corner, like the church needs to repent, you know. Um, like Christians <laughs> outside picketing a Christian concert or, Christian, <laughs> you know, I mean, it feels crazy. Um, but the more time I, I, I spend trying to study this faith and then reading philosophy and then philosophers have also been touched by this faith and, and who are much more brilliant men than I and then biblical history, I start to go like, we've really just turned this into something else. We've really like, the, like the church is really just people who are human beings and all, have, you know, and we've just created into the, like this thing. To the point where we think like the center prayer and the and the worship music and all this this is how it is and this is how he's always done it you know it's just it's like an idol and that scapegoating is completely fine you know like well i'll scapegoat you know like because i right now like i everybody knows here that i'm very hard on progressives as well as conservatives and i'm very liberal Okay, so let's just get that out there. You know, I know what it's like to be a snowflake. But what I'm saying is, is the scapegoating is not, why we talk about arguing well and disagreeing well is because the scapegoating isn't working. And, and what is scapegoating? I think scapegoating is when we go to war with each other, when we automatically act as though this person has to be dominated by my belief system. Or this person is automatically going to hell because they don't subscribe to my belief system. And I would really challenge a lot of you to think about what was your belief system five years ago? What was your belief system 10 years ago? What was your belief system 20 years ago? You know, what are the quiet questions you ask yourself at night? Um, what about your doubts that you don't always share with other people? What about your own insecurities? You know, the, the thinking these through and accepting these into our lives. And that's why I always try to be transparent here, you know, is that we're asking ourselves the 12 questions, we're listening to one another, and not constantly sitting in the seat of, like, the higher ground. I've got the higher ground, you know? Don't try it, Anakin! <laughs> you know, it's like... When you come the judge and the jury, and that's just not Christianity. And then, you know, most people outside of the church, outside of Christianity do not see the church as a place where people love one another. Do not see it as people who are known to be the greatest lovers of, of people, of humanity. We just don't see that. We, we seem to be known for what we're against. We're not known for who we love. We're known for who we don't love. You know, and, and we're able to take and manipulate these ideas like love and grace and things and somehow not make them for everybody. You know, and when 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 says love doesn't demand its own way, it's not irritable, it keeps no record of when it's been wrong, it never gives up, never loses faith, it's always hopeful, endures through every circumstance, rejoices when truth wins out. Uh, I have to put that one in there for my conservative friends because they think they're uh, half the corner on the truth usually. Um, <laughs> but now my, my progressive friends do too. Because when we start to say, well, you don't belong or I'm not going to associate with you, um, one of my friends who's really gone through a tough time has decided to go very conservative. 
you know, I was looking at some of the things that people were saying to me, like, I can't be your friend anymore. And I'm like, oh, guys, there's something bigger here. And when our friends change ideas or thoughts, we shouldn't be the ones that say, I can't be your friend anymore. When Christ has called us to love our neighbors as ourselves, even if our neighbors are our enemies. Um, but the fact is, is that now it seems like our bigger enemies aren't injustice or poverty or hunger or things like that. It seems like, you know, people's enemies are either, you know, political parties or LGBTQ issues, uh, or they're on what side you stand on. Uh, and these are the lines that we draw on the sand. And, um, and, and it's like, we want, we say we want to see things change, but like, you know, one of my friends who's this conservative pastor who I've known for years, he's having somebody come to one of his events. He's promoting an event where this person is talking about like, oh, I went to a progressive church and then the doubt came over. And I'm going to talk to you about what to say to progress, how to handle them and how it was dangerous. And it sounded like a chick track to me, you know, like, oh, they went to there. But we could also have chick tracks on the other side. Like my friend went and became conservative because I've had just had a friend just go back into the, the, you know, the point is, is like when I start hearing people preaching against other people, talking bad about other people, saying us and not them is when I start to realize this is not what Jesus was about. Why Jesus had a zealot and a Pharisee. Jesus raised out to the Pharisee, talked to Pharisee, he had a zealot and a tax collector as part of the disciples. I mean, do we not realize that conflict was something that Christ embraced? Uh, that contradiction was something that Christ was able to grasp a hold of and show us a truth of, that is greater than contradiction that only comes when contradiction thrives. If we think we're ever free of contradiction, that's just not true. Um, you'll always have contradictions. If you just, you know, if you know anything about psychoanalysis, contradiction is going to always exist. If you know anything about Hegel's study of contradiction, we're always going to have contradictions. Some we can be free from and some we have to learn to embrace. Um, so when we care more about being right than we do for others, that's when it's time to start rethinking our, our, what we're doing. When our mission is, um, and this is another thing I don't understand is, 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 you know, things like Dr. King said, like, you know, hate can't drive out hate. Only love can do that. Love is the only force capable of turning an enemy into a friend. Is when we become so angry and so hateful to the others and thinking that this works, even though that most of us I would say a lot of us who, who were attending revolution or a lot of us who, who, who would say they're progressive would say, well, I, I left the, that church. I don't want anything to do with those folks because they were hurtful and I felt like they were hateful. But for us to say then that they don't belong and that they have no place, it's just doing the same thing. It's just returning those same things. Now, I've also had conservative pastors in my life who have taught me just like, treated me just like Jesus and cared about me and disagreed well with me. And matter of fact, they disagreed with me so much that they didn't even bring it up. They just loved me. And to me, so I'm able to like, you know, one of my friends, one of these pastors recently passed away, a very conservative guy who always loved me and cared for me. And when he died, what was I to say about him? He was Christ-like to me. He always loved me no matter what. You know, he never demanded his own way in my life. He just cared about me. And he believed and trusted God in my own life. As a pastor, he said, oh, you know, I, 
I'm gonna trust what Jay's doing. Jay's doing something different that I don't necessarily understand, but it doesn't mean I have to say that he's hellbound or that he's a heretic or this type of thing. I don't have to, you know. Um, and we probably could have had some great debates as well, but um, it never got there because of distance, really. Um, people always say, well, why, you know, like my dad hasn't talked to me in two years. But I hold out the hope that we'll be able to sit down one day and have a conversation. And, and, we're, and, and, and conversation always goes towards, well, me and my dad, it's like a coping mechanism for us to start talking about theology, you know. And I know I'm one of the few people who are able to have these deep theology, theological conversations from this side and his side, and we can kind of talk about these things. And so that's why I don't cut people out of my life. Um, And that requires a bit of strength. You know, not everybody has that. I get it. That's why I think when it says pray for those who persecute you, I think that what it's saying is, is if you can't deal with those who persecute you, if you can't deal with your persecutors, at least pray for them, at least hope the best for them, at least pray that they'll, you know, like love from afar is what I've always felt that is. is when we pray, it's when we can't love with hands on. We have to love from afar. And um, to me, that's important. Um, so I think by that we by thinking we can uh, reclaim Christianity by belittling and or scapegoating other folks won't work because we are called to love. It's just how it is. We are called to love the other. And it's sad now that the church is so divided because the kingdom divide will fall. And I really do feel like the church is just disappearing. People don't want anything to do with the Christianity. Well, why? Because we fight all the time. Um, even the progressives are now like, you know, I think people, if they don't consciously hear it, they unconsciously see it, that, wait, even this group is saying, well, then that, you know, like, where's the tolerance? Where's the grace? Where's the mercy? I mean, do we not make time for people to evolve in their belief system, to grow over time? And that's why I always love Dr. King saying that, you know, my enemy is not other people. My enemy is not these humans. My enemy is misinformation. And what I believe is that my, those people are victims. Just like we're victims to racism, these racists are victims to misinformation. They're victims to hate because they've been raised and taught a certain way. They've been told to fear certain things. And my hope is that we can show them our humanity and that they will see their own humanity and we can grow from that, that we're all victims, that these are victims of misinformation, not my enemy. And I will love these people enough to have tough conversations, enough to sit in a room and allow them to speak disrespectfully to me in order that they may be set free from these bondages of hate, from these bondages of racism, that they will be able to set these free from being victims of misinformation. I don't think we all realize how much we live a life of tradition uh, of an American tradition, of an evangelical tradition, these traditions of American ideas of, 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 of uh, capitalism in a way that we've, we've thrown capitalism into the Christianity, which was not part of Christianity at the time, you know? Like, and so we're always looking for something to fill the void and to complete us and that we're right and they're wrong. And, you know, and, and, and Christianity, I think, is about embracing the emptiness inside and not... Uh, being, you know, accepting that you're accepted in the midst of, of, of hard times and tough times, that life is suffering, that there, you know, 
that we think that somehow the God-shaped hole is like a product we buy on Amazon that's gonna fill it and we're gonna all of a sudden be happy. And that's it's the final product. Oh, we finally found what we needed. It's that one thing that our life was missing and we put it in and now we're complete. And I think you could take, ask anyone who's filled the God-shaped hole if they've ever felt completely complete. And they would probably say, if they gave an honest answer, they would say no. There's been still things missing in my life. There's been still desires that I have. There's still, still hurts and pains. And that's just the reality we live in. And I think what grace does is it gives us the ability to accept those things um, that seem unacceptable. And part of that is that lack inside of us that we learn to live with that lack uh, rather than try to fulfill it, fill that lack. And I think that's what sin is, is when we try to fill the lack. So I even think like being addicted to Christianity and thinking, oh, and this next book's gonna do, and you know, those books and all this stuff. Oh, if I get, just get this one right, if I just read this, if I just get this, if I just make that person, if I put them right, then it'll be fulfilled, you know. That's not, I think that's a type of sin, to be honest with you. Um, and I always come back to Corinthians where it says, love does not demand its own way. I always think about these verses that say, stop judging others. How you judge, you will be judged. Um, these ideas that, you know, Paul saying, you know, be careful of biting and devouring one another. You may destroy one another. You know, these are the things that continuously stick out to me and are highlighted to me and continually proven through good scholarship and through philosophy and through biblical history that I, I go, oh, it's not, you know, it's not all this black and white thinking. It's not all about sin management it's all, all about create it's not about creating a new law but people want structure and that's what legalism provides is a structure and we think if we have a good structure then we'll be safe and we'll have everything you know we're supposed to have everything figured out but a good philosopher will tell you that the more they know the more they realize they don't know you know and i think a good theologian will tell you the same so I'm not saying I have the corner on the truth. The problem is, is when we think we have the corner on the truth or the corner on the philosophy or the theology is when we start to create the other. And so automatically they're wrong and we're right. And what comes of that? Well, I, I, all of a sudden I have this pride that I have it together. And now I have to save these sad people from, from hell. You know, just do a simple word on hell. I mean, when you start to realize a lot of those were at southwest of Jerusalem and things like that, Things become a little bit different for you. When Jesus said, pluck, you know, it's better to pluck your eye out and throw it into hell than to sin. I mean, that's very drastic sounding, but what he's actually saying is it's better to throw it into the dump. It's better to throw it into the garbage can. And he's not saying actually pluck it out. He's saying it's just like, if your eye is causing you to do all these things, it's just kind of worthless. It's kind of like garbage. It's just sitting there. It's not, it's not, it's not learning to love more. It's not learning to endure through hard circumstances. What it's just, it's just escapism you know if you're constantly looking for escapism even if it's in the church you're missing out you know if your hand is causing you just you know it's like it's like throw it into the hell fire but it's not hell fire it's literally a dump outside of rooms and it's better just throw it in the garbage because it's it's like garbage you know um Sometimes I think we want to over-spiritualize things because I think it makes us feel better and make it more drastic because I think it makes it feel better because then it justifies our rigidness. 
but nobody has the corner on rigidness. So this isn't an attack on conservatives and this is not an attack on liberals. This is just, uh, this is the, the idea of, as human beings, we're getting something wrong. We're being victim, we're, we are victims to misinformation. We are victims to binary thinking, to black and white thinking. And, um, and we're victims to just the idea that, well, we've got to have the answers. We have to have all the answers. You know, I'm going to take a collection of letters and writings and, and poems and put it all together and then I'm going to have the final answer. I mean, if you, I, I bought a book on denominations the other day and the book was like this big on all the different denominations just in Christianity. And all these people in these different denominations that have subscribed to these different hundreds and thousands of denominations all think they've figured it out to the best of their abilities mostly. And so... You know, if this many people are wrong, what are the chances of us missing a few things here and there? You know, and I think that's good to look at. You know. Love does not demand its own way. That means you too, progressives. Um... The, ver the, the, the church for me lately, and I've watched people and hearing people, is dissolving into obs obscurity. I mean, it's just become obscure. People leaving the church. You can look at studies. You can look at the Pew studies that they're doing. People don't want anything to do. They're not going to the church anymore. Um, but how can you blame them? How can we blame people when we're not known for our love for one another? You know, when we're not restoring people who fall. You know, Paul said, if you think you're too good for, to restore someone, you're only fooling yourself. You should gently and humbly restore that person and be careful not to fall into the same trick. And when he's saying not to fall in the same trick, he's saying a lot of people fail and fall because of legalism. And because he's talking about this in Galatians, he's saying when people fall from legalism, fail, you know, we've got to gently and humbly bring them back up and don't fall into the legalism yourself because it's very easy to do. I've seen people I love and care about fall into different types of legalism my whole life. I've done it in my own life before. Um... So why do I say all this and, and, you know, and why am I asking you to kind of think about it for yourself? Well, one is because, yes, I'm mourning a friend and I didn't, and I'm trying to be a dad and didn't have time to like, throw all this stuff, my Hegelian studies down into the, the paper that I wanted to. But it's also because I've always hoped that people would be able to experience grace. And I still think one of the best well, I think the best book in the Bible about grace is Galatians. But I also think, like, one of the best talks on grace was by a fellow named Paul Tillich uh, called You Are Accepted, which you can Google You Are Accepted Paul Tillich, and it will come up. It's a talk that he gave. He had all of his sermons put into a book, and it's a sermon he gave. And I think it's one of the best writings on grace I've ever read and best understandings of grace I've ever read, and I highly recommend it. And the reason I always say, like this, look, I got grace with an anarchy symbol. Um, the reason I have grace as anarchy is because I feel that it moves outside of the progressive movement and outside of the conservative movement, outside the meteor movement. It's, it, grace is for everyone. It doesn't fall under your laws or your regulations or your rules. It's always anarchy within your ideas of rules and stuff. Um, it's for everyone. And uh, that idea of when we accept that we're accepted, then the transformation really does happen. And that's what I've always wanted to see people experience. I want people to see that experience of that love and that grace. I mean, if I saw a street preacher on the side of the street 
going, God loves you. He really does. God loves you. 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 You need to be like, nope, you're just accepted. You're accepted. You're accepted. Rather than repent, repent. The end is nigh. You know, it's like, what? You're evil. Like someone telling me my I'm evil and then I'm bad. I mean, heck, when I was a teenager telling me, MTV is horrible. I loved MTV. I was like, man, that's the only piece I get from life is when I'm at high school and life is tough. And then I go to church and they tell me I'm full of crap or that I'm a sinner and bad. Turn on MTV and I like that. And I see a preacher talking about MTV. MTV is of the devil. I'm like, man, I love those videos. I don't want to go to hang out with you because you're telling me something that brings me peace is horrible. You know? Um... And we think, you know, I was talking to a very aggressive fundamentalist the other day, and they were, you know, and I kept saying, like, how, you know, he's like, well, the church, we're all going to hell. The only way to save people is by telling them how horrible they are and by their telling their sins. And I'm like, oh, man, people feel horrible. People feel a lack of life. People feel unfulfilled people feel we're all scatterbrained from freaking covid man like people feel this you know they don't need to come and be told they're horrible filthy people you know maybe they could say hey you misunderstood some things but guess what you're accepted even despite that you don't have to believe more you don't have to believe less you don't have to follow rules you don't have to follow this regulation you are accepted and when those people are able to grasp that they're able to live a life of saying, well, I want to live life well. For me, when I realized I was okay to be a drunk, that's why I said, I want to live life well. And when I'm drunk, I'm miserable. I don't want to be miserable anymore. I want to be able to love other people well and tell them about this message. So I probably need to do the hard work and get sober. But it was only when I had that, when the danger sign came off or when the like sin sign came off of it, you know, when I realized it was that plucking the beer out of my hand and throwing it into the garbage rather than the gates of hell so it can burn for eternity. When I took out the, 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 the scary drama and the over fantasy world of, of, of that kind of stuff, I was able to go like, oh, this makes sense now. This actually makes more sense than that it's some scary thing. It makes more sense that, I, that it will help me to grow more and be a better person and love people. And um, I just saw someone write up here that they said they have substance abuse issues and mental health issues. Welcome. You're welcome here. Guess what? I go to an analyst every week. Uh, I've been to DBT. I've had electric shock therapy. Um, you know, I get it. And I think sometimes a lot of this, what we call mental health, is just living in a capitalist system where we're also separated from one another and we're divided one another. That sometimes it's like maybe some of us who seem to be mentally, <laughs> mentally ill are actually having the proper reaction to the world that we live in. You know? Um, this is a tough road because I fully believe what I'm talking about is the narrow road. Because when you... Love your enemies, that's one thing. But when you love others' enemies, often you become their, the enemies of those people. And that's a tough road. Often people go, why are you, you know, why aren't you cutting that person off because they're, you know, preaching against gay people? Well, uh, the reason I'm not cutting them off is because I want to have conversations and ask them why they're doing that. You know, what, what's making them think that this is 
this is right. What is, makes them think that, you know, well, well, it's the, you know, and they say the scriptures. Well, good, I've studied those scriptures, so I can sit down and we can talk about those verses, you know. We can go through the history of the Bible. We can actually go through what the law in Rome and how Rome uh, did, you know, handled that and what the process, what prostitution was like then and what temple gods were there. And we can have those conversations, you know. Um, what sexuality is, and when sexuality really became something that people looked at and developed into the world, what, why, how Freud brought that to us, and I think Freud was quite a few thousand years after the Bible. And so some of our understandings aren't the same as those understandings, and now there's cultural differences in how the Middle East was a lot different place than the United States in the year 2022. And how do we have those conversations? And how do we live into that? Well, we also live a lot longer. I'd be at the end of my life at, at this point. Um, you know, what do we do with those truths as well? Because there's other truths as well that influence us and that are different than the truths that folks were living in. I mean, like the traveler, how you treated someone a traveler and how you treated the stranger. Um, it's so funny, like people always say, Sodom and Gomorrah, but Sodom's sin was how they treated the traveler and the stranger, not the LGBTQ stuff. And the reason it was so important is because back then, if you're a traveler, it wasn't like you could stop at the gas station and get yourself a soda and a snack. It was like, no, you would starve to death and die from something if you did not, if, 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 if a town decided not to show you uh, hospitality. That was a death sentence. So when we think about these things, it's a little bit different. When we put them into perspective, when we put them into historical context, things are a little bit different. Um... So that, 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 that's kind of my talk today is like, hey, let's just learn to think a little bit differently. Let's learn to take the road less traveled. Where we're going to try to love and understand and argue well. Uh, as, you know, Caleb always liked to say disagree well. He didn't even like argue. He like, disagree well. And, I, and so in memory of Caleb, let's, let's learn to just disagree well and listen well. And uh, I love where it says love does not demand its own way. It keeps no record of when it's been wronged. When Paul says that in Corinthians 13, you hear that at weddings all the time. Um, but what, what I love about that is, is that it's saying to us also, like, don't be so easily offended. And be willing to, you know, the Bible says, be willing to give a good and solid answer, but do it out of love and grace. Don't do it out of pride or snarkiness like we do online, as we're online warriors for Christ. <laughs> for our version of Jesus. Um, but do it in a graceful, loving, merciful way. Now, of course, this also meant something different back then because more than like those people were going to be within their presence. They were going to be recognizing each other's humanity. They weren't going to be on Zoom or YouTube or online. You know, they were going to be recognizing the humanity of one another by standing face to face. So even when we argue, there is a recognition of humanity as, as humans. Um... So I think those are things to take into perspective and to remember well. And so I also think thinking well and thinking critically is very important. And what I will say is that these type of ideas may cost you your job. Um, may, <laughs> may cost you, if you're, you know, your life may cost me, you know, you may have to find a different church. You might have to start watching church online uh, or finding a community online <laughs> to be a part of. Um, because not everybody's open to these ideas. But I think these are the type of ideas that will allow us to be more human, will help us to live well, and help others to live well, and be more of a community, and help us to argue well. And I hope we can do that. 
um, that's always my hope is uh, to see that, you know, and, and like I, the reason I said that one of the reasons that I've always wanted people to experience grace the way I did is because recently I had someone say, why do you care so much about the church, man? It's just people. They're just dysfunctional people all together. You know, what, what, what is your hope with the church? Like you want to make it big and back into power or have influence? Or, I said, no, I just, I care about these people because I was raised in these people. It's a culture that I was raised part of. It was a bug, huge part of my life. And I do believe in this faith. I do believe in this religion, Christianity. I do follow it. And my hope is that people can experience it to its, it, to its most uh, truthful essence, you know, I don't think any of us are ever going to have a corner on it because we're always going to be open to interpretation and the lenses that we're using and how we were raised and our own experiences and traumas. But my hope is, is that we, that I want to see people experience this type of grace. And I do believe in reformation. And I do believe it's time for a reformation. Um, and that there's a lot of things that we need to get rid of and push away in the church today in order to be better in community, in order to be um, people who are known for their love for one another. So I would challenge you this week, if you really want to be known for your love for the other, uh, find ways to put that into practice and um, maybe start to think differently. Less, less scapegoating would be a really good place to start in my hopes, is that we would stop seeing each other always as the enemies and maybe start to see us as uh, maybe victims of misinformation and as well being open to maybe us being victims of misinformation as well. Um, so that's what I have today. Um, hey, listen, if you get a chance, you know, um, and you know Caleb's family or, or, or can have an address for them, you know, um, I'm going to put up, I'm going to find a good address because uh, I don't know if I want to put their public address out, but something where we can you know, send our letters to the family and let them know we love them and are grieving with them and thinking about them. Um, that was a, really the a powerful thing about uh, seeing the response of people who were touched by Caleb's life um, from all over the world. And it was just amazing what these like online things and podcasts can do and the people that they can help and seeing, uh, you know, Caleb was a lot like me, very haphazardly human, you know, kind of a messy guy like myself. And I think that's why we worked so well together. Um, he was an extrovert, I was an introvert, so I feel like that also helped balance out our work together. Um, but, uh, you know, I miss Caleb, folks. Uh, it really hit me at his funeral, you know. Um, that he was able to the pastors at the evangelical church were saying, they're talking about conversations they had with Caleb and things that they would say. And, and you could tell that they were like, Caleb could make them uncomfortable, but it was cool that he just, he lived in a world where he just wanted to serve and love people, even if he didn't completely agree with them. And they were able to be loving and be in a community together, even uh, when they couldn't see eye to eye. And uh, that's a, a lot. He, he really lived into this type of message. And I'm grateful to have been part of that life and a part of his life. And um, I'm going to, you know, we're going to continue to move forward and uh, it, it, with this message. I'll be back next week, hopefully a little bit sharper. But uh, love you guys. Hey, listen, if you like our work, you like what we're doing, um, you can go to revolutionchurch.com and make a donation. That really helps a lot to keep this going. Um, 
allows me to be a dad, allows me to read Hegel books and study hard and bring uh, these talks to you as well as other things we do. And um, uh, I also have another work uh, job I'm working on right now that helps a lot as well. But um, we could use that. And if you go, oh, I can't do financially. Um, other ways you can help is by subscribing to our YouTube channel, which you're on right now, or um, by retweeting. People on Twitter don't do anything, but if you're on Twitter, retweeting what we're doing, retweeting talks and stuff, and uh, putting them on Facebook, sharing them with your friends on Facebook, and sharing them with your friends on Instagram and your messages or your stories or things like that, that also is another way to really help the work of revolution. So I have to say that because last week I didn't say anything, and so I, I, I have pastors, friends in my life who love me and care about me and say, Jay, you have to raise funds. And I go, okay, I'm a baker. I don't want to raise funds. <laughs> Um, but we got to. So those are ways you can help support this work and this message. And um, I, this, these are the things we're going to be continuing to work forward to towards and, 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 and try to help and, and try to do more of. And uh, so good luck this week. Love you guys. Um, and um, thank you for all your kind words to me as well. Um, as, as we mourn Caleb, thank you for, for reaching out to me. Uh, and being so loving and so graceful that's really meant a lot because um, this is this is a big one this is a big loss and um, yeah loss is tough right all right love you guys peace We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website.